So we're continuing our series of new beginning. We looked at the story of Exodus right after the Red Sea. Look at how they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They're praising God in song. The song is called the Song of Moses. Miriam sang it in reply as a duet. And then they came to the water and it is bitter. And they, they grumble against God, not realizing very soon after they're going to come to this oasis. We're continuing their story, but before sharing their story, I'm going to share my story. My first journey to the United States was confronted with a very strange thing. This. Fried chicken on waffle. From, <laughs> from my expertise training in waffle by A&W all my life, you're only allowed to put ice cream on waffle. With some cherry jam, maybe? Who put fried chicken on waffle for breakfast? Well, you know, new guy, first time to the country, doesn't know what awesomeness is, judging my friend for ordering that for breakfast. Like, you order pancakes, right? You order sandwich or like... Then he came to visit me, and I brought him out for a Singaporean breakfast. And he says, James, you judge me. Yeah, I did. And you eat chili for breakfast, and curry, and fried chicken too, by the way. Nasi lemak. I'm like, oh yeah. I do eat strange things for him. To eat chili in the, for breakfast is beyond, to eat chili, period, was beyond understanding for him. To eat it for breakfast as the first thing in the morning was just way beyond. But he enjoyed it, and so did I. But you know what? This, this waffle fried chicken thing was not invented by the Americans. It actually first came into place in Exodus. Let's look at the Bible. <laughs> if you turn me to chapter 16 of Exodus, as they... Passed by the bitter water as they go and repented before the oasis of the awesome 70 palm trees and 12 springs. They went on further on into their journey. And lo and behold, I shall read the verse from verse 1. I won't read to verse 12. I want to read verse 1 to verse 2. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Note, this sin doesn't mean committing Which is between Elim and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month after they had from the land. Not too bad this time. Not too bad. They lasted a whole one month and 15 days. 45 days. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. What did they say? And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So do you know what they're saying there? That it's like, we are not afraid of death, but we're afraid to die hungry. Strange people, isn't it? 
We've just left 70 palm trees, 12 springs, awesome. God provided water, turned bitter water to, to sweet water. By the way, they did cross the Red Sea still. And by the way, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud was still right there. God, you brought us out to kill us. And you're so mean, you're trying to kill us by starving us to death. You know, sometimes we look at God and as if He's just this person that's just out to get us. That we are tiptoeing on eggshells, that one wrong step, pshaw, lightning strike. Is that your view of who God is? It's as though some of I hear this and it just really breaks my heart. It says, you know what this pandemic is? This pandemic is God's punishment of humanity. Is that your view of God? Is God just this judgmental, fire-breathing, lightning-striking deity that's just so far out, you don't know Him, He doesn't appear when you need Him, but the moment you made a mistake, punishment, pandemic, COVID-19, 20, 21, 22, is that who your God is? Well, the Israelites did think so. They thought that was the God that they were worshipping. They thought this is the God that if you make a mistake, if you don't do things according to His will, you're dead. And He will choose the most awful way to punish you by starvation. That's such a horrible way to die. Really? Then why did God feed you before all the way to this point? Why? So that He can starve you more, longer? Let's carry on. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in the, my law or not. See, people read this verse and they get stuck in the part about God testing His people. What you read is what was not there is that God didn't get angry. God didn't, how dare they grumble against me? I've just provided for them, delivered for them. How dare? No, no, no. God's first response was to provide food. In such a miraculous way, it's going to rain bread from heaven. And bread is such a not good enough word to describe what they were eating. Honey, Crusted waffle would be a better description. No, God doesn't react in the way we expect Him to. The story tells us that God provides, and it's not the first time that He's done that. He'll continue to do that. In fact, every time you hear people grumbling against God, complaining against God, cursing God, God provides comfort and food. No wonder hospitality is such a treasured gift among His people. No wonder that in a lot of those stories and parables that Jesus tells is about providing comfort and food. No wonder that in um, the Middle Eastern culture is such an important thing to provide water and bread and lodging. There's a, the, the most powerful, back then when I was in Andrew, the most powerful person in terms of 
Islam lived in Detroit, and he came to Andrews a few times, and we were privileged enough to be in a class where he lectured. And uh, he had some interaction with my professor, and, and, and we were about 20 of us in the missions class, and he looked at us and he says, if any of you ever come to Detroit, look for my house in this location. He didn't give the exact address, and I like, you know, irritating Singaporean person who wants exact details. What is your exact address? And he replied, you will know which one is my house when you come onto the street. I said, I say, why should I look for you, right? Why should I look for you? He said, when you come, you will have shelter, you will have food, you will have water. I'm like, mm, yeah. He's just being nice, being polite, you know, he's visiting Andrews. But one time I did drive past, I was going to Niagara Falls, I decided to go past Detroit, and I decided to go and look at the street and see if it's so easily recognizable. You can see his house from three streets down. You know it's his house. And like, that must be it. So I drove this stupid boy in Detroit, which is not very safe. And I drove into this place. But this place looks really safe compared to the rest of Detroit. And then I, I went and I, just, I, I rang the bell. Ding, ding. And then the security guard said, who are you? I said, would you please inform um, the owner of the house? I am from Andrews University and I am a theology student. And then they say, sure. Went into the intercom, bus, the gate opened. And I'm like, okay. It took a whole two minutes to drive to the front door. And when we got out, he was, the, the steward came and he says, uh, Mr. So-and-so, I will not mention his name online, Mr. So-and-so is not in town, but he says to provide you with as long of a housing you need for as long you want to stay here. And all food are provided. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know my name, but he, he followed exactly what he promised. I stayed for one night and I left. I was too embarrassed. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't even know these guys. And they were really friendly to me. Maybe they were better at fooling who God is than we are as Christians. Would you offer a stranger housing, food, water, if they came to your, your house? having only met them once. But I shouldn't speak for the whole Christianity because I have friends who are Christians, not of this denomination, who do the exact same thing, no matter where you are in the world. But having said that, there are Seventh-day Adventist churches with people who are committing, committed to do, doing the exact same thing. In fact, due to my previous work, I got to travel to weird places and I love going to places where the church is not too big. Because I think big churches, you get lost. And I told you the story of how I visited 20 over churches and nobody spoke to me. But there was this one church in Australia that I visited part of my work. And, uh, and, and it was a small church. Uh, I was just there for three days. And it happened to be, I arrived on Friday. I only had something to do on Monday. So I had a Saturday and Saturday off. I decided not to travel and just rest in this town. I went to the local church. That's the good thing about Seventh-day Adventist Church. No matter which town you go, almost in Australia, you will find a Seventh-day Adventist Church. You'll find one, right? And in the U.S., it's about very similar. And so I drove in. This is, this is about three hours north of Sydney, this town. And I drove in. I, uh, lo and behold, you find a Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I went in the holy hour. And then you will find church worship, except for that one church I told you about, which there was no worship. I went in there, and uh, I, I, I worshipped. And there was about 20 people about in the church. 
And after that, um, I didn't expect potluck because I, I've learned quickly that potluck is only found in Asian churches most of the time. So I, I, I was going to go back to my room and just settle my own lunch. And a, a hand grabbed me as I was walking out the door. Because you know when you go to a new church, you sit at the back. So you can see all the dangers you may face. <laughs> no, just like, you know, I just like sit at the back. I don't want to, you know, very awkward. I just want to like leave after church. I sat at the back and then I, I, the moment closing song, uh, doxology, stood up. I turned, I was going to go. And then the hand grabbed me. Say, wait, young man. I'm like, oh dear, what did I do wrong? They're not dressed correctly for church. They, they, I don't know what I did. And he's like, where are you going? I'm like, home. He's like, you're not from here. I'm like, how do you know? I know everybody in this town. I'm like, fair, fair enough. <laughs> and I'm like, now I was going back, going back to my hotel. And uh, I'm just passing by. I'm from Melbourne. And he's like, so you have no home to go to? I'm like, yeah, I'm in my hotel room. I'm staying at that hotel. Motel, not even a hotel. I said, well, you have one now. I'm like, where? My house. You're coming home with me. I'll drop you back at the church, and then you can drive back to the motel if you want to. So he, he almost dragged me, and then he introduced his family, and then he put me in his big truck, and then he drove me back. And, and they, didn't ex- they weren't expecting a guest, but they, they, they prepared the, what the Sabbath meal always have been, and I joined them in the family Sabbath meal. And then he says, are you in a rush? I'm like, it's Sabbath. I said, well, then, then stay. And so <laughs> I stayed, you know, I stayed, and uh, we had sundown, and then, and then he, he brought me out for dinner. And then he's like, do you like my house? I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, do you prefer your motel room or do you pre- prefer friends? I'm like, I like you guys, right? He's like, why don't you stay overnight tonight with us? I'm like, that's imposing, the Asianness all came out like, no, this, I can't do this, this is a lot of trouble, I already eaten all your food, you took them in, then he's like, you be a uh, stop. He, he's an older gentleman, right? Stop being rude, young man. I like. I will not be rude. I will stay. You know. <laughs> and brought me back to my motel. Got some clothes and stay over. And I got to know. I'm even. I'm still in touch with the family too today. So there are people who extends their hospitality to strangers, even among the church. So they're complaining. God provides food before. He even like, he, there was no reprimand in this verse. If you read a reprimand here, you've misread it. But now there's a test. He's trying to help them grow. Grow in their trust in Him. And that's why he says, well, this is a test that if they follow my instruction, they will not go hungry. In fact, it's not a test. It's a promise. In fact, all promises are tests. Because it tests whether you trust the person who, who's promising you is going to fulfill it. Right? Like the person from Detroit, who, who gave me a promise. It's a test too, whether I dare to go up to his house and ring the doorbell. If I, if I don't believe in what he says, I never go to Detroit, I never ring his doorbell, I never know that he actually is a promise keeper. And so God provides a test, which is a, a promise to is, the Israelites, that if you trust me, if you believe in me, I will provide. Carry on. But this test has a little thing, a little clincher there. On the sixth day, when they prepared what they bring in, it will be twice as much 
as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you will know that this is, this, that, that is what was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he had heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And this other, as I said, fried chicken waffle, right? The, the people had actually this blessing of bread that is provided for them, which is heavenly food, because manna is like, what is this? And in today's way, it's like, it is so awesome, so good. That is so good, but they still grumble, and they say, we want fried chicken. And so God says, well, here you go, quails, right? Get them quail, you cup. Right, rose pigeon, right? Give them as much as they want. Like God didn't reprimand them. You've wanted, I give it to you. But that's a test. You have to trust me. You have to trust me that on the sixth day, you gather twice as much because there'll be none on Sabbath. Does it mean that God doesn't provide for us on Sabbath? Is that the test? Or is the test actually that God will give you so much blessings, so abundant in His providence, that on the Sabbath, you don't even need to worry about it. The Sabbath is about stopping our work so that God can show you that He has worked. Have you been keeping the Sabbath? And that's not a question of what you do or don't do on Saturday. It's not about whether you come to church or not come to church on Saturday. It's not about whether you read your Bible, whether you pray. But it's about whether you have allowed Him to be your God in providing your needs. That you can stop worrying and stop being human about your faith. That you have to earn it, do something about it, or else you'll be lost. Have you been keeping the Sabbath as a Christian, trusting in God to provide when there seems to be no way through? In fact, the test, the promise didn't come before the Red Sea. By this point, they've crossed over the Red Sea. They've seen God's ten plagues upon the most powerful empire, Egypt. They've seen God provide water. They've seen God give them bread from heaven, quail. Then the test comes. Do you trust me now that you've experienced all this? Or do you still do not trust me? There's two kind of not trusting. There is mistrust and distrust. So I wonder if Natasha is listening. Every time I call her, she's not. So Natasha and Padma, correct me if I'm wrong. Mistrust is not believing in something because you have no experience in it. Distrust is not believing in something despite the experience you've had with it. What kind of not trusting are you in terms of God providing for you? Has this past two years been an experience of mistrust or distrust for you? Have you allowed God to provide and then remember that God has provided? Or you've just shut God out of your life totally that God didn't even have the opportunity to provide. So you say, God can't provide, but you've not let Him. The Israelites were definitely a mix of both. 
Shouldn't there be distrust because they've got this experience? But while at the same time, new people being born every day. The people who have never crossed the Red Sea, the people who have never seen the templates, the people who have never experienced God yet, the new, the young, in their faith, and there's been people who's joined them from the surrounding region, actually, that, that they don't really talk about the strangers in their gates. They hear about their God. I mean, imagine you're in a wilderness, right? You're in a wilderness. And there's nothing there. This is actually Judea, right? You're there, and then you see these hundreds of thousands of people walking, sheep blaring, camels sounding, and a pillar of fire. I'd be like, that's the most interesting, interesting thing in the wilderness I've ever seen in the past 10 years of my life. I'll go check it out. Right? They say, well, guess what? You know what the pillar of fire? That's God. I said, well, it must be God because you guys just robbed Egypt and you're still safe and sound crossing through this wilderness full of poisonous snakes. I want to join you. And guess what? What? You get waffle fried chicken every day? Free food in the wilderness? You get sweetened water in this harsh environment? I want to join you. So there are people who have not experienced God's goodness, who have joined people, and there are people, the Israelites, the original slaves in Egypt, who have experienced any distrust. What are you? Are you mistrusting God? Are you distrusting God? Something to ask yourself. Have you allowed God to provide? Or have you been so smart providing for yourself, you've not allowed God an opportunity to do so? And when the time comes where you need to trust Him, you can't because you have not experienced it. But the story goes on and it's amazing as you read the story that, that the Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, they shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am your God. And in the evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay on the ground. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. So when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Manna. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Not a word of reprimand. Not a, God was not upset. If you think God is out to get you, He is not. He is out to win you. He is out to allow you to know Him. Know that He is the God, your deliverer. And in fact, this story of the bread points forward to Jesus who comes down to, to earth as the bread of life, providing not just physical life, but spiritual life to all of us. And that experience can only be experienced if you decide to commit yourself like what Angela did today and what Gert's going to do. Gert took eight years to decide, by the way. She's my first Bible student in Aztec. I inherited her from the previous pastor she was halfway through her It Is Written study. She came through Mark Finney's evangelism, continued the study. We finished it once, and then she said, I want something more. Went through a second series of study, another set. Went through it, and she said, I want to get baptized, and then she pulled out the last minute. That has been going on for the past six years. But she told me, Pastor, in this pandemic, I've decided. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be baptized. So my first, hopefully not my last, 
but it's finally accumulated after eight years of studying with her. Time is not a factor. But deciding today what God is calling you to do, to do today is important. She struggled, and it is fine. God is okay with us struggling with Him. God is okay with us not deciding, being afraid, having fears, having mistrust, distrust. That's fine. But the ultimate goal that God has is that you know Him. You know the Lord your God. And in fact, that's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not to earn brownie points or stickers on the board if you memorize a Bible verse. Sabbath is a reminder of your Creator God. People say the Sabbath came and it's for the Jews in Exodus 20. Guess what? We're not there yet. And the Sabbath has already appeared. And guess what? It was not only to the Jews. It was to everybody who believed, who were willing to follow the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, to follow the God who provide in the wilderness. That's when Sabbath was reminded to the people. It started, by the way, in Genesis about God providing a garden to His people, trees of all kinds, food, before they even realize what work is, God established the Sabbath to remind them that I am the God who provides. I am the God who keeps my promise to my children. I am the God who performs miracle when nothing seems possible. If you want to experience miracle, keep the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is a reminder of our miracle that God provides for a bunch of people who are grumbling, complaining, demanding, who actually doesn't even know Him, He's already provided. God has been providing for strangers from the beginning. Not that he's a, He doesn't know us, but we, does, we don't know Him. From the get-go, when He created Adam and, and Eve, they were strangers, but they were His children. He provided and continuously the story has gone when the people don't know who this God is, but this God is continually to provide. Your God is providing even, even before you know it. And the Sabbath reminds you that He's there. It's like a name card, a reminder, hey, that's who I am, provider. So who is God to you? As you start this new year, who is God to you? I'll not go to the next story. But to the Israelites, I'll not read it. To the Israelites, he was the way maker. When you were just see in front of him, the sea opened up, a way was formed. He is the promise keeper. And he fulfilled the promise to the Israelites 400 years after he was given. But he didn't actually just forget and then he <gasps> remembered in the 400 years forever, the 400 he was providing. How do you think the Israelites became the biggest like, people in Egypt, that Egypt was so afraid of them? In fact, God provided, when, in the beginning, when he sent Joseph to Egypt, so that Jacob and his families could be saved from the famine. In fact, he provided in the ancestors. All the way to Abraham, when God says, go, leave the land of Ur, go to the land of Canaan. God has already provided. Mind you, Ur is where Egypt is. So we went to Canaan and we came back and then now they're going back to Canaan. Every journey is to remind us that God is a miracle worker. We don't experience miracle today, as I said, because maybe we don't want it. But it's still happening every single day. 
this morning when you woke up, do you thank God you woke up? Do you thank God that you're alive? Do you thank God that your family members are with you? Do you thank God you have clothes to wear? Do you thank God you could take a bus, MRT, drive a car to church? Or order a grab? Do you thank God we're sitting in air-conditioned auditorium? So easy to forget. But as we go through these two years of seemingly darkness, know that the light shines the brightest in the darkest night. He invites us to be his light among where we are. There are people out there who have not seen the light. They may be strangers. They may be this obnoxious boy who drives to Detroit and ring a bell and say, I'm from Andrews University. Could be this boy who sits in the back seat of the church trying to get out straight after worship service. I don't know who this person is, but that first experience of light and goodness and God could be just a simple cup of water or just an invitation to come in, have a sit, have a rest. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. These are not empty promises. This is a recollection of actual stories. When the Israelites passed through the waters, they were on dry land. When they were entering Canaan, the crossing River Jordan, the Jordan River opened. And then when, they, when Daniel and his friends uh, were thrown into the, when Daniel's friends were thrown into the fire, the fire did not burn them. Those were actual reminders to the Israelites of how God has performed miracle after miracles. These are stories that they've been telling each other. God saying, I am that God. And we are con- a continuation of that story. We're continuing to tell each other that story, a story of faith, a story of trust, a story of our, a God who provides. We just finished our 10 days of prayer. Today is the last day. I don't know where, how you've participated in it. But I'd like to say, this is not the end of prayer. Prayer is not a, a thing we do at the beginning of the year to pray for harvest and rainfall for the rest of the year. We do 10 days of prayer. We've been faithful, God, now bless us. This is not what it is about. It's about starting the year with the right habit. If you've been blessed by praying daily, if you've been blessed by meditating on the Word daily, if you've been blessed with connecting with friends during these 10 days and sharing your, 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 your feelings, what you've learned from the prayer, and pray with each other, then keep doing it. Don't make this 10 days of prayer. Make this 365 days and a half of prayer. Make this 365 years of heaven when Jesus comes. Keep praying. Keep connecting. Because God is for you. God is with you. God loves you.
doubts arise and fears dismay. Some say my sigh, onward bound. My prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable. Shall we pray? Father, I pray that daily we spend time pausing and acknowledging your presence, that we'll feel the comforts of the Spirit in our hearts daily, that we remind ourselves of the love and sacrifice of Jesus, that we'll walk ahead knowing that you are our God who is for us, with us, and love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.